Hiking and carrying your kid. That's, that's what I want to do. That's fun. I, I already have my communion set out for me because I couldn't get into mine during first service. I was just going to eat the whole cup, which is not that different, really. And okay, so <clears throat> a lot of things we've been having around here, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of fun stuff. Um, the uh, Easter egg, glow-in-the-dark Easter egg uh, hunt was yesterday, scavenger hunt. A lot of, lot of people, just a lot of people came through and enjoyed that. And it was a really cool idea, too. I'd never seen anything like that. Pastor Krista came up with that. And uh, just, just really cool, really cool. I interacted with the kids well. And, uh, and for me, personally, I, I mean, I just sat at the door. I didn't really do anything. A lot of people did say, hey, great idea. And I was like, I, I try. So, but uh, I, I just sitting there. But a lot of the little kids, as they were coming out, like three, four, five-year-olds were telling me the Easter story with the little pieces of paper that they had got. They were told the Easter story through the process. And so I was sitting there, and so they would stop and tell me the Easter story. And they got it pretty solid, pretty good. Um, although one of them, it was little Kenny, uh, Kenny Cruz, and um, he told me the whole story. I don't have a clue one word that he said. <laughs> but he would take it out, and he hands <clears throat> And I'm like, oh, he's speaking tongues so young these days. <laughs> um, but uh, just a great day. We had a, the Seder dinner last weekend, just a wonderful time and to really remind you and just to see all the, the pieces and the elements of who Jesus is. And the thing that gets me about um, all of this stuff, not just the, the Seder dinner, but I, I just think life in general, I think Jesus is shouting out to us all the time that he's there. I just think he's constantly telling us, I'm here, I, I'm here for you, I know who you are, I love you. I did, I, that's why I, 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 I tell my, 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 my oldest son came up from Texas a couple weeks ago, and he, and he just kept saying, man, Dad, I just love Colorado. He said, I'm, and I'm down in Beaumont, Texas. There's nothing good about Beaumont, Texas. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure there's something good. I said that so I don't get in trouble later. But... <clears throat> But it just, just a reminder, every day, every day we get up and we have this to see and to, sit, to remind us that Jesus is really good at what he does, and he can be really good at what he does in your life, too. And, uh, and that's, that's obviously what this morning is about. We, did have, we do have two new board members in our church. We voted them in. Are, are they even here? Oh, yeah, Jeff, Jeff is here. Jeff, why don't you stand? We want to look at you. <clears throat> And Shelby, is Shelby here? Well, which is it? I heard four states. So, whatever. So, Shelby, who apparently doesn't come to church, is also one of our new board members. Um, we, should, we should discuss church attendance with these board members, shouldn't we? Uh, but we don't do this very often. Why don't we have the other board members stand? We don't, we don't highlight them much around here, and we should probably more often. Got Sergio over here, Jason in the back, Paul over here. <clears throat> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, something I also wanted to mention. This is um, so. So I heard this last week that uh, the White House released a statement that says that they are not going to follow through with the. Um, the vaccination passport mentality, okay? 
What that means is to travel, you have to have vaccination proof of vaccination. They said that they uh, were not going to follow through with that. But something else that came out this, you can look this up yourself. And uh, there's a pretty long article that explains a lot more detail what I'm going to give. But the, the, back in December, President Biden asked um, many different groups, many different universities to work on an, an app. And uh, the University of Illinois released their, um, their first preview of the app. And they showed pictures of what it looked like on your phone, uh, this kind of thing. And what this app does, the app goes on your phone, just like any app you download, except this one is directly connected to the government. The government actually controls this app. And the, the posit for this is that it will be mandatory. You have to have the app. The government is in control of the app. And it has all of your personal information on it, including all of your health information, um, and specifically if you've been vaccinated or these kind of things. Okay? And then the app, and the University of Illinois showed a picture of this. You have two, it gives you two options, um, uh, an approval or a decline. So it looks on there, you'll see accepted or declined, according to whether or not you fulfilled the federal and or the state, because the state, uh, each particular state can add their own requirements to the app to get an accepted or a decline. And so then you, you, when, you, when you go wherever, and one of the main ones that it was talking about, the, the article was focusing on, the workplace. You cannot go to work unless you have an accepted check mark on your phone. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to the gas station. You can't go to restaurants, and you definitely cannot travel without a green check mark accepted. And they and they showed a picture of the app. It's the person's face. It looks like uh, your uh, contacts. The person's face, their name under it, and then and it's you. It's your phone, and then either an accepted check mark or an X uh, declined. And that determines whether you can do any kind of business or anything like that. And uh, University of Illinois already has the app ready. Now, I don't know about you, but that is about as close to the mark of the beast as you can get without starting to invade your skin. Right? I mean, am I, am I stretching that there a little bit? Now, people say, and I, and I had a lot of people were saying this, uh, you know, a six months, eight months ago, it doesn't really matter who is president. Uh, our country still just kind of continues forward, and we just figure it out, and we deal with it. Guys, it's not true. Okay, that is not true. Elections have consequences, and we're seeing this very strongly. I told you about the, the uh, state of California with the, with the police department saying that if they are part of any hate group, they cannot be a policeman, and they can be fired as a policeman if they're part of a hate group. And then they defined what a hate group was. Anybody that did not embrace abortion and LGBT stuff, they will be fired as a police officer in California. That's, that's a scary place that we are right now. So, with that, happy Easter. <laughs> happy Resurrection Day. Guys, we, we do know, that this, this is the reality. We know that Jesus is in charge. That's what we have to keep our eyes on. No matter what happens around us, Jesus is in control. The disciples were being put in jail and killed and all kinds of things. You realize that every single apostle, every single apostle, disciple, uh, was killed for the cause of Christ. Every single one of them, except John. And he probably wished, I don't know, about halfway through the first, second, or third boiling in oil that he could have died. But they were, they were all killed for the cause of Christ. Um, 
They, they made it through. We will make it through. No matter how difficult our future gets is what, is what I believe we're funneling toward the end times. We're going to be okay with this. Now, with this, with this being Easter, I want to go back to a verse I read last week in John chapter 4. And um, <clears throat> the, the, this, this sentence to me out of John chapter 4 is just a powerful thing. Oh, I was also going to mention, because I've gotten so many questions, uh, I got this vest in India, and uh, was, Dr. Matthews bought it for me in a little shop in India. Uh, yes, it is um, truly India. I know. <laughs> First thing I thought when I put it on this morning, you fine. That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Guys, think about how powerful that sentence is to you. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now here's the Easter story. I'm going to give the big picture because we're just going to jump down through this, through different scriptures and, and kind of jump into parts of, of uh, the Easter story as we walk through this. But we know, that you know Easter started, the concept of Easter started back in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. Without, without Adam and Eve falling and sinning, there would be no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. But because of their sin, there has to be some kind of payment for that. They, they, you know, there was so much involved with that sin. They gave up the authority to the, of the planet. You understand that? They gave Satan authority that he did, he did not have first, which is a huge thing for us because Satan only has authority over you as much as you let him have authority over you. This, the, the idea, I know this is, a, uh, this is a thing that floats through Christianity every now and then, and, and, and about 10 years ago it got really strong. I, don't, I hope it's not as strong now. But there was this mentality that Christians can be possessed by Satan. That's, a, that's not a possibility. That's not a thing. It's not scriptural. Okay? When, when, you, when, when Jesus dies on the cross and you embrace that by faith, you are forgiven, you are washed clean, and Satan has no authority over you that you don't give him. So then we understand because of their sin, and that's where we all are. We're in, we're in a world that is full of sin, and we are sinners. And so because of that, there, there needed to be payment for that or bought back or redeemed back to God. And so there was a temporary process of that for years that was animals uh, being killed and sacrificed. And that was the blood of those animals pushed back sin. It didn't forgive us, but it pushed back that sin for a year at a time. And then finally Jesus comes, and he had planned and d designed this whole thing. I, I've preached before about when he hit the earth, how important that moment, how, why he picked then. That's a great thing to study and process. Why then did he pick? But Jesus comes to earth, puts on human flesh for the specific reason of dying so that his blood can be the once and for all forgiveness and sacrifice. This is the thing about, remember what Paul says, is that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. He came to complete the law. The Old Testament law was not complete. Animal sacrifices didn't forgive us. We needed Jesus' blood to be the eternal forgiveness for our sins. And so he dies on the cross, and then he's resurrected. Remember, if he dies on the cross and he's not resurrected, there's no difference between him and, and many other Jewish males of that time frame that were killed on the cross. The difference is he's resurrected. Why? Because he's also God in human flesh, and we understand that that, that, 
that his sinless life, all of that stuff together, that's, that's the story of Easter. He's resurrected. So we're going to, I broke this into two categories, and we're going to look first at this, at this salvation mentality as we go down through this. Um, Mark chapter 14, this, everything about this has got to, you, you've got to see that this is all about Jesus loving us. There's things like the law that are included. There are things that have to do with um, uh, establishing this across humanity. And stuff. But the whole thing, the foundation, everything is about Jesus loving us. And if you miss that, you miss the picture. You miss the big picture. This is one of the things in talking with people that I, that I see that are, are um, like anti-Jesus or whatever. That you're, you've missed the big picture. You've missed the fact that he just loves you. I've got a, a guy that was... that, that um, Basically, was family to us. He he grew up with, almost with us um, as a fourteen year old. When we met him, and he didn't have a family life and all that stuff, and he was at our house like all the time. And uh, we were youth pastors at the time. And then eventually, he went to Bible school, and we hired him as our youth pastor years later. And and uh, just very very close to us. Well, he he's not serving God at this point, and um, and it's a very difficult thing. His picture is on our bathroom uh, counter. And uh, Lynn and I pray for him. He's literally like one of our kids. And, um, and he's not serving God. And he, I haven't, I don't want to go into detail, but he's, he's attacked me recently about, do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe this whole message of Jesus? You, and he, he claims to be Eastern religion and all this other stuff, and I don't really buy all that, but... And, he, and, he, and I've told him, and he knows, that's the thing, is he knows, I do believe this. I've staked my whole life on this. This isn't a belief system. This isn't a religion. This is my existence. This is, this is me. I am not anything without Jesus. He is the everything. He's the beginning and end of everything, life and breath. I breathe air because he ordained it to happen. He created that air. I walk on the ground because he created that ground. There is, no, there is no me without Jesus Christ. And to, to ask, well, do you really believe this? This is why I was talking about last week. I think, it's, I think we've got to do some self-assessment with this. If we really believe Jesus Christ is everything he says he is, if we really believe that he's God and that he died on the cross and resurrected, all this stuff, the church across America should look majorly different. If we really believed that he was the, the everything of the universe, that he's the word, that nothing was created, that he didn't create. If we really believe that, we should look different. Our country should look different. Somewhere, we stopped believing it. I, I'm not saying us in here, although if that's you, we're going to work on that here in a little bit. But, but somewhere our country, or the church in our country stopped believing this. Guys, we know he's, he's God. He's God above everything. And this is in the garden. This is before he's crucified. In Mark chapter 14, verse 35, he went on a little farther and fell to the ground. It doesn't say he kneeled down. It says he fell to the ground. There is a, to me, this is a, um, an, an abandonment kind of moment, a, a uh, surrendering. I God, I have nothing left, and he just falls down. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, 
Everything is possible for you. You know the Abba Father is a very personal, very in, um, intimate way of talking to Father. Right? Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then he says, and I think he's saying this sentence as much to himself as, as he is to God. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I think he's trying to... Um, to, to shore himself up. Lord, not my will, but yours. I, I want to do, which I know my whole life has been for this moment. God, if there's any way that I, I don't have to go through this, let's, let's, let's ponder that, God. But Lord, I want your will. I, I just want your will. Why? Think about what he's saying. I don't, think, I don't think he's all about making sure he's fulfilling God's word here. I think, it's, I think the driving force of, through all these little scriptures we're going to read, I think the driving force is his love for us. He just loves us so much. He knows he doesn't want to go through with this because of the pain and the agony and everything else. But his love for us drives him. I think that's what's pushing this whole thing. It's not some kind of I've got to fulfill the law or anything else. Mark chapter 14 <clears throat> Verse 60, this is after he's been taken, and they've been beating him, they've, they've um, been whipping him, pulling his beard out, spitting on him, cursing him, hitting him in the head, and the, it says they, they, they um, hit him around the head and shoulders, that kind of thing. And uh, now he's brought before the high priest. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? Jesus is not saying anything. He's about to go through a lot more even than he's gone through. But from the moment they grabbed onto him, they're, 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 just, they're just beating on him. They're just harassing him. Jesus, uh, he said, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. I think that's pretty amazing within itself. Then the high priest, high priest is the one who asks him the question. The high priest has spent his whole life studying for this. The high priest has got all the scriptures and knowing these scriptures. He's seen all the stuff. He's done the Passover year after year that shouts out Jesus, all the different things. And he says, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Even asking the question boggles my mind. Because is there some hint within this man's heart that Jesus really is this? Is, is there that? Even the way he says it, the son of the blessed one. To me, that seems like there's a belief, at least at some level, maybe he's believing this. But, but here's the next part that, that is the, that's the real deal. Up until this moment, Jesus potentially could still get out of this, right? But look what he says. Jesus says, I am. At that point, he sealed his fate. He just declared himself to be God. But just to make sure that the high priest wasn't confused, he says, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. I'm going to be sitting beside God the Father in the place of authority and power. I'm going to be sitting beside the judge. You're judging me right now and asking me if I'm the Messiah. And someday you're going to come before me in eternity and you're going to stand before me and I'm going to be sitting in the place of authority and power beside God. He wants to make sure that the high priest is not confused here. There's no confusion about what's happening. And that sealed his fate. He was done at that point. 
they're going to have to kill him. You can't be walking around declaring yourself to be God. And equality, see, when he says he's sitting at the right hand of God, that Scripture tells us that's what's supposed to happen. But that means he's saying, I'm equal with God the Father. Because this is an important thing for us. There are different religious groups that don't believe that Jesus is in equality with God the Father. We believe that he is God, the same as God the Father, but separate. God's not bigger than Jesus. They're the same. He's God. John chapter 19. Now we see where he's hanging on the cross. And, And everybody had run away. Everybody abandoned him. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the disciples, uh, apostles, one of them, we don't know for sure it was, uh, they grabbed him to his cloak and it says he ran away naked. Naked. That's how we say it in Texas. Say that? Naked? Uh, he walks away literally completely no clothes, whatever. These guys were running away from him completely run, uh, scared, terrified. And nobody's... Now, I personally believe that around Jesus... They're all there. I believe they're near. They're watching, but it's from a distance. It's not. We see where John is at the foot of the cross. We see where uh, Peter is somewhere in the courtyard around watching this. But I believe all of them were nearby. To me, they had to have been, right? They just had to have been. And Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. So what's his mission? His mission is not just, I've got to die on the cross. You understand that his mission is you and I. That's the point of this. That we're, we're the focus of this. That his love for us is driving this whole thing. So it says that Jesus knew that his mission was finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. I, I'm not even sure what sour wine is. I do, I, I, I caught the diabetes recently. And so I've been trying to get rid of the diabetes. And um, I've been doing, taking um, apple cider vinegar in the mornings. Anybody, anybody enjoyed a nice sip of apple cider vinegar lately? Mmm. I believe that that is wine that Satan made. <clears throat> A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips, because they hadn't done enough already. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. As you realize, he secured and sealed what it took for us to get saved. He, he, that, his blood was poured out so that you and I could be saved. Then he bowed his head and gave up. He gave up his spirit. Nobody killed him. He gave up his spirit. He did this by his choice and his volition. And here's the thing that has always just got me with this, is while he's hanging on the cross and all those people are around and and people have been hitting him and shouting and doing all this other stuff, he is dying for them. He is dying for the guys that drove the spikes through his hands and feet. I just can't ever get over that. Guys, our only hope is Jesus. Our only, the, the only direction that we should be focusing and facing and walking in life should be toward Jesus. 
I was thinking about this. My, I've said this to my family a few times, and my wife, I think she's worried that, I'm, that I've been obsessing about this. But uh, Friday, we were driving in the, in the Jeep, and, and, uh, and there was a wreck on Powers, right at Powers and Barnes. And we were kind of stuck there for a while, so we could see all the stuff that was happening. And there was a, a small Jeep CJ, which is a, an older uh, two-door Jeep. And it had tried to make the corner, and the tire had hit the, the curb, and it rolled the Jeep. And when, when, as we're trying to go by and get by all this stuff, the, the driver of the Jeep was just laying there on the street dead. And the, the firemen are all surrounding him because you can't touch until the corner gets there, all that kind of stuff. And he's just laying there dead, and, and I, I, I just can't get it out of my head and my spirit. He had no idea when he got up Friday morning he wasn't going to be there by lunchtime. He had no idea. And he's just going to the grocery store or something. I don't know. And, and yesterday morning, his family and friends get up without him. He's, he's just not there. And, and, I, and I, just, I, I just can't get it out of my spirit. I don't. I, I just, I hope the guy was a Christian. I hope he knew Jesus as his Savior. That's his only hope. Guys, we put so much stuff and emphasis and, and things about this life. But in reality, it's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. My life is about Jesus. There's going to be a moment in time when I breathe my last breath. It's got to be about Jesus. Because that's my only hope. Down farther in John chapter 20. Now we see Jesus has already been in the tomb. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. I don't have time to go over this now, but this is a great little, if you want to do a little Bible study thing, you can Google this and I'm sure you'll get plenty of information. Look at uh, the significance of all of the stuff that is happening as Mary and then later Peter and John when they step into the tomb and they see the stuff with the angels and all the things. I'll give you a, give you a little uh, precursor to, to process. The fact that there's angels at the head and the foot and, the, and their wings are stretched out, that's exactly what the um, Ark of the Covenant looks like. Okay? This is why, when I was a teenager, I remember uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. At the time, I really thought that was the coolest movie ever. And I believe that there was an ark somewhere deep in a warehouse, maybe in Germany. I don't know. But, but here's what I realized over time in looking at Scripture. We're never going to find the ark. It's not in that place in Ethiopia. You can Google that if you don't know what I'm talking about. There is no ark today because that's Jesus. We don't need an ark. And, and God did away with the ark. Because why? We have Jesus. When she stepped in there, she saw where Jesus had been. The linens and everything. Go look at all this stuff. It has a great significance, even with the Passover and everything. Uh, the, 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 the scene that she sees there. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear one, why are you crying? The angels asked her. 
Now, now couldn't they be, couldn't there, isn't there a possibility they're saying, why are you crying since he told you he was going to be alive? Why are you crying? He told you. And you think about this. This, this is Mary. Jesus had specifically told her. We see where scripture says that he was sitting there with her and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. We specifically know he told her. So the angel's saying, why are you crying? He's told you he's not going to be dead here. He told you he was going to raise again, rise, raise, rose from the dead. And she said, the reason I'm crying, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. Why, why do you think they took him? They're, they're still not getting it. They're going to. They're about to get it. But even up to this point, they're still not getting it. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have seen this? Wouldn't you like to have been there when Jesus... I mean, he's still fresh from the tomb. I don't even know what that means. But he was still fresh from the tomb because he told her, don't touch me. You'll go right through me or something. I don't know what he was saying to her. But he was saying, my body's not done yet. Okay, I am finished this thing. But think about this. She's standing there and she, she's the only one that got that moment. That moment between the resurrection and, and whatever he does to finish this, to be able to step into the presence of people. Because see, later he tells Thomas, you can, you can touch my hand right there. Touch, the, touch where the, the nails went through. So something happens between this moment and he gets his perfected, resurrected body. And she's the only one. See, I think Jesus had a very special relationship with Mary. And I, I'm going to step on a limb and probably really bother some of you with this theology, okay? I, I really think, now I believe it eclipsed anything. I don't think it was like carnal or anything like that, but I think that Jesus loved Mary very similar to a way a husband would love a wife. And I think she's the only one in scripture that falls into that category. You're like, that is heresy. Okay, well then don't believe it. <laughs> but I just, when I read through scripture, I see that and I believe that he loved her at such a deep level. I think it would transcend anything we could understand. And I think he loved her at such a deep level. And then he shows himself to her during this time because he, he just, I don't think he could stand the fact she was sitting there crying. I think he was on his resurrecting journey and he paused because he just loved her so much that he had to just comfort her right then. And then he says to her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. I don't get that. But do gardeners glow in your world, Mary? I don't know. Are gardeners see-through? Or I don't know what's going on. I don't. Maybe this. I really. I'm not joking about this. I really think she's crying so much that her eyes are so full of tears. I don't think she really could see him that well. Sir, she said, "If you've taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll go get him." And I believe that Jesus also had her eyes closed until this moment. Had her spiritually closed eyes, right? Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. There's a, a great thing we could study on that too, but I don't have time this morning, but you could look that up too. Why he called her, why she called him teacher instead of something else. But verse 17, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. 
Then she gave him his message. Guys, here's something. If you struggle, because we, we strongly believe around here that, uh, that women are in equality in ministry with men. And women can be pastors just like men can be pastors. And I think I can prove that very simply to you scripturally. But here's the easiest one. Mary is the first person ever to preach the gospel. She is the first human on the planet to say Jesus is alive. Let me tell you, the salvation, what salvation, I guess, means to me is the way to, <clears throat> to put this. And, and, and every one of us would verbalize some of these things different. <clears throat> and differently, we would process some of this. But here's some things that, for me, that salvation brings, brought into my life. Uh, first one is peace. I, I think that's, for me, it's probably one of the biggest. It's just the peace of the Holy Spirit just begin to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That, that I, I, I didn't have peace. I didn't have peace. So much turmoil in my mind and my spirit. And when I finally said, okay, Jesus, I need you to be in charge. And, I, and I've been saved as a kid. This was as an adult. When I, when I said that, Jesus immediately began to bring his presence and peace into my life. Um, unconditional love for me and then from me. He expected that. That's part of this. Um, true relationship with God, not just religion, but relationship. This wasn't about the rules or going to church. This is, I needed to know him. I needed to be close to him. Um, there was a security that he brought to me that I knew he was never going to leave me. And I know to this day, if I call out to the Lord, he's right there. I know he is. I don't, I don't wonder about that. I don't question that. Sometimes I, I think he's like hiding behind something to make me like search for him a little bit. But uh, I know he's there. Purpose. Accepting Jesus and really letting him be in charge of my life really kind of lined my life. There's a bunch of stuff that would fall in this category, but one is really gave the purpose that I, that I knew why I was here. Began to be, I mean, it's been a journey. It's not like I knew everything, but it began the journey of I knew what, I knew I was here for purpose. I knew that my life meant something and that, that, that he had planned things. It gave me strength, strengthened my mind, my heart, my life, knowing that Jesus was in charge of me and I didn't have to be in charge of me. Because that's one of the biggest things, specific for my type of personality. I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm kind of an obsessive personality when it comes to things. Uh, I used to be, I, I talked to someone about this a few Wednesday nights ago, I used to be much like a workaholic kind of thing. I, I'm not now. I, I work on Tuesdays. So, <laughs> um, but, just, but just really knowing that Jesus is in charge and my strength is from him, there's something about that. Letting go, for some of you control freaks, and I know I am one, letting go and letting Jesus be in charge. You don't have to be in control. Jesus stops the pain, pain in your mind, pain in your spirit. He stops the pain. And here's the thing is you're still going to deal with pain the rest of your life, but the difference is pain before the cross and pain after the cross in my life personally is total different things. Lynn and I have said this to each other a thousand times over the years. I don't know how people deal with some of the stuff of life without Jesus. I don't know how you deal with some of the stuff. I, I, I processed this. Lynn and I both were thinking the same thing. We're driving um, yesterday afternoon to try a new barbecue place. We, we felt led by the Lord. And so um, we were driving. She said, you know, I really miss your mom. And I was, I was driving thinking the exact same thing. I really miss my mom. 
And here's the thing with that is missing your mom knowing she's in heaven, missing your mom knowing that Jesus is with you is totally different than no hope. It's just different. You guys know what I'm talking about, that he brings that. Destroys the bondage and the stuff that can so easily control us and wrap us up. Every one of us in here knows what it, mean, what it means to be, for Satan to try to control you with temptation, sin, attitudes, rebellion, all that kind of stuff. And when you accept Jesus, he begins the process of teaching you how to, to, to let go of things and not be, not be wrapped up in all the stuff. Satan does not have to manipulate you. If, if he is, it's because you're allowing him to. Don't let him do that. You, you, have, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to this stuff. He gives me victory, <clears throat> victory in a lot of settings, a lot of circumstances. This, this is a big one to me too, true enlightenment, or, or I would say enlightenment with real truth. This is something now, guys, as I say this, you're going to recognize that many of you are saying, yeah, this is the same with me. I, I just know that God gives me knowledge and understanding sometimes that goes beyond what I actually should know. That, and, and this is something, the wisdom and discernment, all that kind of stuff. This is one of the biggest things over this last year that, that, that it just keeps coming back to me. And it, and it seems very strange to me that I look across our society and there are so many people that cannot see the obvious. That, that, that boggles my mind until I back up a little bit and go, wait a second. My wisdom, Paul tells Timothy, if you'll ask for wisdom, the Lord will give it to you liberally. That, that my knowledge and my wisdom oftentimes comes from God, from his word, and not from me. That's an amazing thing that we can... And by the way, you can learn to walk in that deeper and deeper through life. You can learn to, to understand what the voice of the Lord sounds like and what... And this is, not, this is, a, this is the way I see it or verbalize it. The way that the word of God speaks to me throughout life differently and deeper. Now, I know it's the Holy Spirit doing that, but, but sometimes, I mean, I'll know a scripture for years, and then all of a sudden, I, I heard somebody say this just recently, that the revelation of scripture oftentimes comes in the middle of the tragedy you need it to be revealed to you in. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Guys, you don't get that unless you submit yourself to Jesus. And the more you submit, the more you get. That's what Paul tells Timothy. So we can go after this. Another one, and this is kind of, a, uh, this is kind of a, almost an abstract way of thinking, but the world begins to make sense to me in a, in a way. The, as I got saved and I began to walk in it, it took me, I, I'm probably saying the first four or five years I was still bumping into walls. But, but I began to start to recognize and understand things. And the world itself began to make sense in a way, not totally, I still don't get it, but, but it begins to make sense because I realized that Jesus created it. And so all the things, like, like I said, you look up in the stars, at the stars at night, and, and like David said, that the Lord castles up there and he's holding him up there by his hands, and you begin to understand that on a spiritual level that doesn't make sense on a natural level. The world begins to make a little bit more sense. The whole thing begins to make a little more sense. And here's one of the biggest also for me. This goes along with peace. Is I, I started to become very comfortable in my own skin in a way I hadn't been before. Comfortable with me. I've still got all the issues everybody else has, and I'm dysfunctional and, and insecure and all the stuff, right? But it, but it began to make a little more sense who I am 
and how God made me and designed me. And then also I began to understand grace and mercy in a, in a much different way. What it means to have grace for others, for me, mercy for people, for me. Um, it, God just really began to do something there. So take your, take your communion stuff. <clears throat> We're going to do two things. This is the end of the first section of this. I have one more section, and it's about twice as long as this section. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together. And Jesus, when he was at the, um, what we call the Last Supper, do you know nobody then would have referred to it as the Last Supper, right? You understand that, right? The Last Supper of what? You know, it was just Passover. And, and Jesus says something about, at the end of this, he says, you're going to do this to remember me. Well, that's, that's part of what we're doing here is we're going to be we're going to be focusing on the remembering at the beginning of this, and then we'll go to the next step. Okay? Luke chapter 22. And, and here's something else. We're, we're going to all do this together, potentially, if you want. But this is what I always do. So I, I can remember as a little kid, seven or eight years old, first time I can really remember uh, taking communion. And I remember even as a little kid, every time I would take communion, I did the exact same thing, and I still do this today. Anytime I take communion, this is what I do. I get saved. Right? You say, aren't you already saved? Yeah. But I get saved every time. Because why? I'm remembering what Jesus did for me. And I'm not taking this lightly. I, I'm not playing around with this. We, we don't believe these are sacraments. We believe these are elements. In other words, they're not holy within themselves. But, but I remember that Jesus died on the cross, and that's the most amazing holy thing that's ever happened. So I just get saved. So if you would like, if you say, well, I'm already saved. I do not need to do this. Then don't. But I always, I always do this when I'm taking communion. I just ask the Lord to forgive me and that I need him. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. You know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying that to us right now. And, and I think we can get that pretty strongly from Scripture. I think Jesus is saying, I've really been looking forward for this communion moment with you right now. I've been eagerly looking forward to it. This is, this is good. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, This is my body. And we know from Isaiah 53 that the breaking of his body is what gives us physical healing. And you say, no, why is that important right now? Because I really believe this, and I'm not trying to be all super spiritual or, or weird or whatever, but I believe the best time to pray for healing is while you're taking communion. Doesn't it make sense? You're, you're doing something that represents what he did for our physical healing. What better time than say, Lord, just heal my body. Just physically heal me. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Jesus, I thank you that you allowed yourself to be broken and brutalized. 
Lord, you went through so much just so that we could be healed. And Lord, I believe, I believe with everything in me that it is your will to heal every person in this room right now. You did this on the cross. You took this, this brutality, specifically so that we could be healed. And Lord, I don't think that you set time parameters or, or certain moments or whatever. Lord, I, believe that's what, I just believe that's what you do. So Lord, throughout this whole room, just heal us. Heal our bodies. Things people don't even know that they've got, heal them right now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your, your body. We thank you for the brokenness of this. We thank you that you included this in the mix. In Jesus' name. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's take the drink together. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Wash me clean, Jesus. Wash me with your blood. Make me clean. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray all through this room that we won't take this casually. That we won't be flippant with this, but Lord, that, that we really focus in you died to forgive us. You died to make us right with God. You died to, to, to purchase us, to buy us back, to redeem us. And Jesus, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that Jesus says in the process of this he said, do this to remember me and to proclaim that I'm coming again. That's part of the reason we take communion is to not only to, to remember what Jesus did for us, but to realize we've got to proclaim this to others. So this is the second part of this. That salvation includes, I believe part of the context of salvation includes us going to others. In fact, I believe this so strongly that I think that if you, if you do not go to others, it hinders your salvation. Because somewhere you've only taken half of this and you've turned it into selfishness. Now, I'm not saying we're doing this intentionally. I'm saying it's easy. we've done this as the church for so long. I don't think we recognize this most of the time. That if we turn it into just us and we turn it into that, it becomes a much selfish thing, which means we're not loving God and loving others the way we're supposed to. You guys have been around here a while. You know I, I, I believe this strongly. We've got to be going. We've got to be going. Luke chapter 24 two guys on the road to Emmaus, Jesus said to them, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written, Jesus is including that this is the message, this is the gospel message. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That's the message. And this message has got to be proclaimed in the authority of Jesus to everybody. You are witnesses of these things, and now we'll send the Holy Spirit. Why? To give us power to proclaim the message, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now we go to the, 
to pretty much the last time that Jesus showed himself to, the, uh, to his followers on this earth after the resurrection. And this is um, Peter and John went back to fishing. Basically, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they're like, okay, but you left. You died. You're gone. And so they go back out and they're fishing. And this is when Jesus finds them and uh, invites them to the shore. Peter jumps in the water. He, Jesus is cooking fish and bread, right? Um, I would like to have tasted that just because I respect a good man that can grill. John, do you love me? Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. So what is Jesus' response? If you love Jesus, what is his response? Feed my sheep. Uh, take care of the pe- Minister to people. If you love me, minister to people. Then, then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Peter said, you know I love you. Then minister to people. If you love me, minister to people. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, minister to people. If you love me, minister to people. See, we've we've taken this for so long in church thinking. If you love me, then Jesus' response should be, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to do something for you. And that's not what Jesus says. Peter, do you love me? Okay, if you really love me, then minister to people. Because that's, that's what love is about. So, Here's what we're going to do. Where are the guys? Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to give you something. Okay? Everybody here, you get a, a bottle of uh, anointing oil. Okay, and here's the reason. Now, you don't have to take it if you don't want to, but here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you the question. Um, if you would like a bottle of anointing oil because you want to minister to people, and you don't want people around you to think you don't want to minister to people. <laughs> then uh, stand with me. And he's gonna, you're going to get a bottle of anointing. Now guys, here's the reason for this. All through scripture, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And we, are, we see from example, but we're also told to anoint people with oil to pray for the sick and different things like that. And so we want to give you a bottle of anointing oil. And, um, and husbands and wives don't just say, well, my wife's got one. We all need a bottle of anointing oil, okay? And so get your bottle of oil, and, and here's what we're saying. A few things that I put down. God wants to anoint you to be his disciples. We have to, we have to embrace this. We're the ones supposed to be speaking the, the gospel in the authority of the name of Jesus. God wants you to anoint you to be one of his disciples. God also wants to anoint you to go and make disciples. We know this from scripture. He wants to anoint you to, to go and make disciples. And so, therefore, God wants us to anoint others. We're going to make disciples. One of the things that comes along with witnessing to people, praying for people and stuff, is sometimes you need to anoint people. I, I keep a bottle of anointing oil in my Jeep. Why? Because you never know. And I have used it at different times over the years. 
where I'm just talking, praying with somebody and reach into the glove box and pull out oil and they're like, this guy's, this guy's all in. He's, he's real. In their head, they're thinking he's a freak. But either way, it's okay. Because sometimes you just need to anoint somebody. Maybe keep it in your desk at work. Wherever, wherever you're at often and you're interacting with people, that's the place to keep it. Because maybe the, your coworker is really struggling. Something's going on. What a great thing just to say, let me pray for you. And then ask them, look, if you're comfortable, how about I anoint you? Man, the moment's yours, guys. The moment is, those moments are created by God to do stuff. Now, we're not giving you this so you walk around tomorrow morning anointing everybody at work. That's not, there are moments and there are times and you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're doing stuff. But guys, we, we, we want, we want as a church, we have got to minister to people. And so we want you to have ball of anointing oil. We're going to pray over this. We're going to dedicate this or what, what's called sanctify this. We're going to set this apart for God's use. And you're going to anoint people. Maybe anoint um, things. Scripture shows us anointing things like our house. Let that be a starting point. Anoint your house. God, this house belongs to you. I'm not going to let anything come into this house that's not for you. That's a big responsibility if you think about it. Anoint your family. When your kids are sick, get the oil out before you get the, the cough syrup out. Nothing wrong with cough syrup. I personally like it. I prefer NyQuil if I have my choice. But anointing oil, start with the anointing oil, right? You understand what I'm saying? Start with the anointing oil. Pray for your child. Anoint your child. Anoint your spouse. And let God be in charge of you. Okay? So here's what I think we are praying. Here's what I'm praying. God, I want your anointing. God, I will make disciples. And God, I will anoint and pray for others. Right? Just bow our heads. Lord, we, we just sanctify this moment. God, I pray for every bottle of anointing on this room. Lord, let it be a reminder that we're ministers of your gospel, that you've given us the power of God by which men can be saved. You've given us the truth. We're supposed to be imparting this truth. So Lord, anoint the people that are holding the bottles right now. Anoint their minds and their hearts that they go and make disciples. Lord, when the moment comes and they they need to pray for one of these people. God, anoint that moment. And as they reach out to you with and for somebody else, God, you just invade their existence. You invade that moment. Be God above everything. Lord, we walk out of here not just remembering that you died for us, but remembering we're taking this message to the, to the nations until you come back. That you've called us to that. Help us to be the witnesses you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Guys, tell somebody about Jesus. Use Easter. Use the Easter bunny somehow. Use Easter eggs. Tell somebody about Jesus. And God will honor it in your life. It's a guarantee. How many of you are going to go search for Easter eggs with kids right now? Good times. My grandkids are in Texas. Good times. Shake somebody's hand. Tug their, hug their neck. Tell them how glad that you are that they're here. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great Easter afternoon.